Hello there and welcome to the Retro That Agile podcast. My name is Tom Hoyland and as ever I am joined by my friend and colleague Tom Bennett. And first of all, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you too, Tom. Uh, we, we couldn't have picked a more worthy guest, I don't think, for our Christmas episode. Her name is Richira. You can get her on Twitter as Rich, at Richira Parchor. And it was so great to speak to this lady. There was some, some real learnings too in terms of celebrating individuality, overcoming challenges culturally and technically and the importance of self-reflection and celebrating failures. And I, I just really enjoyed this one, really did. Me too. And today's episode is a special one for another reason. That's because we've got our first set of sponsors on board. So we are being sponsored by the Yorkshire Mafia and Silicon Yorkshire. Silicon Yorkshire is a unique platform to bring the whole Yorkshire technology community together. It offers unparalleled connectivity, supports growth, generates employment and sparks big conversations and ideas. It's looking like a good episode tonight, Tom. Absolutely. Merry Christmas and enjoy. Merry Christmas. Hello, welcome to The Retro, that's Agile podcast. Uh, my name's Tom Bennett. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at The Retro Pod. In tonight's podcast, we've got a great guest lined up. We're going to be discussing the concept of converting challenges into opportunities, uh, amongst much more as well. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Hoyland. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. It's a dark night tonight, but I'm ready for a good interview. Brilliant. Okay, well, tonight uh, we have got a great interview coming up. In our episode, we're going to be joined by the brilliant Richira Pacher, and she's going to be talking to us about, as Thomas said, converting challenges into opportunities, and then also looking at how you can use your experiences in tech and in people in order to have great outcomes. So, uh, Richira, how are you doing? Thank you, Tom and Tom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's been a great, my pleasure. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, so just about myself, um, I would just say uh, short and sweet and simple um, that world is a classroom and I consider myself as an eternal learner. So that's that's just as simple as that about me. Fantastic, fantastic. So uh, if the world is a classroom, where did you first start learning then? Uh, what was what was kind of like the, the key role in tech that really got you thinking about learning, working with teams or working with tech? How did it all start? Yeah, um, so th that's a really good question. It all started, you know, um, when I was in the role of a software developer and um, somehow, you know, learning about agile or so learning about waterfall and all the SDLC lifecycle phases in my uh, during my school or during my college days, somehow it didn't feel right of what I was doing. So um, that kind of instigated the feeling in me as to ask why, uh, why I was doing what I was doing. And um, so that helped me, you know, get, get, in, um, get more insights on uh, what I need to do. And as a person or as a, as a development in my career, where do I see myself? So um, I've moved into various roles starting from there. And uh, yeah, um, that was the start wherein I felt I needed some change in my personal career and that changed everything else for me. What was it that drove you from um, software engineering to more of a people focused role then? What was it, was it, was it, was it a passion for, um, for, as you, for, as you said, sort of teaching and, 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 and um, sharing knowledge um, or was it something else? What, 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 what led you to that change? Yeah, so um, the most important part of that is definitely people um, and mentoring. 
that is something I have lagged in my career personally. And to be really honest, I've never had a good mentor whom I could go and speak and speak about my problems or maybe even the challenges I face or someone who could tell me, hang on, this is where you're going wrong. And perhaps this is where you need to look into, uh, you know, some kind of criticism or some kind of compliment or anything. Um, because I'm much of a feedback person. I, I look for feedback everywhere. Even the product I buy from the store, I write to this, I write to the company about how I felt about it so so that is the kind of person i am so if i don't get the feedback um i i feel nervous or maybe you know i feel um, maybe i don't fit in and i look for opportunities to grow and uh, maybe that is where i found um, myself going into you know all these roles and finding my comfort zone and then growing out of it and the first thing you asked about what 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 brought me into this is the people um it, that, that plays a major role because I'm quite passionate um, about people around me. Somehow I keep observing the behaviors, how people behave, how they interact and how a specific environment changes their behavior completely. When you put someone in one environment, that, that, that the behavior that comes out of it is completely different when you put the same person in a different environment. And that that really intrigued me. And uh, it's, it's such a brilliant thing. Why is the same person behaving in two different ways just because you've changed the environment? So that is where I, I got to know that it's not the people uh, who are good or bad. It, perhaps it is the environment that is making them what they are. Well, that's a really that's a really interesting observation. I know uh, in the teams that I've worked in, uh, I've definitely seen that, and it's something that I can attest to. Uh, I also think it's also not just the the environment that changes how that team interacts, how it works together, and and, and how effective it can be, but also the product that it's working on. Uh, how do you, do you do you think products, or have you seen in your experience products changing how people interact? Yeah, to an extent, yes, uh, because it also depends on the product and tools and, and also it also depends upon highly about the motivation or, you know, your keenness to learn about that product or the domain you're working on. So if, if there's someone who just doesn't enjoy that domain, you know, that that product or something, you'll, you'll see that in them that they are not passionate about you know bringing that change or maybe you know learning or developing their skills but at the same time if you see someone um you know willing to willing to learn no matter what the domain is no matter what the uh, you know if they are passionate about the product if they see the product you know um somewhere in the market wherein they want to see and it's not going there they would go to any level to bring that you know on track or and help them get what they want so it is it it, it is actually the people, the tech, the process. It is everything. My question would be, how, um, how do you temperature check that team? How do you measure how sort of engaged or how passionate that, 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 t- that team of individuals are about the, the product or, um, or service or whatever it is that you're working on? Mm-hmm. So in order to go somewhere, we need to try and measure where we currently are, right? And and in order to do this, we need to take feedback from people or, you know, the kind of surveys that we do, or perhaps um, uh, do a little bit of measuring around what people think where they want to be or what goals or what vision is aligned to our, you know, path. So in order to do that, um, in my various roles, I wouldn't want to name uh, any specific one, but I've tried I've tried my level best because um, there's a lot of analytical instinct in me, you know, that I do a lot of data-based or you can say evidence-based decision making. So that kind of instinct um, came in me and that's when I decided, hang on, let me take a feedback and ask people genuinely. Um, When I asked people for the feedback and I kept it open, 
um, it was very uh, less engaged, I can say, because it was open. The moment I made it anonymous, I could see so many honest responses that popped in. Um, that is where the first thing of, you know, having that psychological safety and being open and honestness is where, you know, that kind of analysis I tried doing. Why, why are people behaving that way, you know, and what they want and where they want to grow. So I've got amazing feedback in those anonymous comments as well. And that is when I decided, okay, let's start from here. Uh, let's start with uh, where we are currently with those. Let, let me just speak to the team about what they feel about the feedback that they have given in, in, a more, um, in a more psychological safe environment where they feel they can express their opinions openly. So that was my starting point. And, and it, just, uh, it mm. just blew from there. Yeah. Tom, are you brave enough for that? Or does it just become open season when you anonymize? Just an absolute firing range of feedback straight back at you. I, I mean, I, I like my uh, my anonymous feedback surveys, surveys just as much as uh, Ruchira does. Uh, I think it is good. I think having the ability to be able to submit uh, your ideas, uh, your criticisms, your ideas for improvement in an, anon in an anonymous way, I should say, is a real, really powerful thing, especially in a team that is at the beginning of its journey. Uh, for me, uh, what I tend to do is uh, I will let people put their names to those surveys if they want to, if they feel brave enough. Uh, the teams that I, I tend to work in, we tend to, as Ruchira has said, uh, we build that foundation of psychological safety. So it doesn't matter what you say. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a criticism or it's a praise. Uh, that bit of feedback will be taken with positive intent. We're not trying to tear somebody down. We're not trying to uh, diminish somebody. We're trying to build up that team and build up that individual. And this is all about improvement. And uh, for me, uh, when we do come to review feedback, when we're looking at data, uh, we're looking at patterns, retrospectives for products and uh, retrospectives uh, for team level events, what we tend to do is we tend to bring all of that, that feedback out into the open. We go through it as a team uh, and we inspect each one of those items and we say, okay, well, as, and exactly as Ruchira said, we've got a huge amount of data in the teams that I work in. Looking at that data, looking at that feedback, is there any truth to it? Can we find evidence to support it? And then what do we do about it next? And it's all about the ideas. Absolutely. So Richard, do you find that, because you mentioned that you've worked in, in, in a number of different teams across different roles, do you find that, um, that, that culture plays a big role um, in how feedback is delivered um, and received across different teams and different organizations? Definitely. I think uh, that is the key for any organization or any, you know, people. It's not just the organization. I feel culture plays a vital role in how you interact with individuals. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, as even Tom mentioned that uh, it's the environment that plays a certain role of as to why how people behave. So um, um, I can just give you a quick example of, um, you know, um, how the culture and how one person can try and mend their ways into getting towards a better ways of working. So uh, we've had this uh, product launch um, uh, for one of the product that I've worked in. And um, um, the teams had become quite, I can say, quite good at their maturity in terms of agile. Um, they had, they, they felt they had the space, uh, uh, safe space to discuss. However, what happened was, um, coming from people coming outside the team, like uh, the stakeholders who were highly engaging and interacting with the team, they didn't find it comfortable to, you know, um, be open and honest with their feedback. And then um, I could sense being with the team, I could sense that there were ways of working and there were um, um, loads of conflicts that they were not open to. 
and um, that was not the culture where we wanted to be in. Um, I think any kind of uh, feedback or any kind of opinion, any anything you would want to express, I think it should be uh, respected and equally be heard of. So. Um, for this reason, what different did I try in, in my role was um, I tried having a product level retrospective, okay? A product level that included all the stakeholders, if every person who was heavily involved in launching that product, not just the development team, but everyone else. And we had a, and I facilitated that retrospective at a company-wide level, you know, in, involving everyone so that we could openly and honestly discuss what went right, what went wrong and how we can improve for the next product, which is in line. So that hugely impacted everybody's mindset, you know, as to, um, they didn't know that we were so collaborative and so open until, until we did that retrospective and that changed the culture completely. And now if you go and ask the teams, they are so open and honest with the feedback and criticism that they, they, they're, they're courageous and brave enough to come and tell it to you instead of being anonymous. So that is the kind of place, you know, culture plays a vital role, but definitely it is the people who drive that also play a vital role. Yeah, I think I think that is absolutely spot on. I think selecting the right type of retro, uh, the like the right type of retrospective, gives the team the opportunity to to have that kind of dialogue. Uh, when you're talking about a team, or, or my experiences anyway, when you are having a team level retrospectives, you're effectively looking into how that team operates at a very very low level at a detailed level uh, and really only that team itself understands those dynamics now to an outsider exposing that kind of information is quite sensitive it's quite revealing and not everybody feels comfortable doing it uh, and it, it's also very contextual as well uh, so when we've got retrospectives that are taking place and we've got people that are joining in from the outside those people are not always going to understand why people do things in a certain way those values, those rules, those behaviors, those patterns have been, have been baked into a team over time. I think what you said there was really good about the uh, the product level retrospective, because if you have a product level retrospective, things are not focused on the team. It's far more evidence-based. It's looking at the product itself. It's something tangible, something you can touch. And it it gives everybody an opportunity to, to look at something that is that is there, it's right in front of them, something they can interact with. And there's no arguing about it. Some things may have gone well, some things may not have gone well, but ultimately we're talking about a product that everybody shares, not just the team that's built it, but then the stakeholders around it. I don't know what you think, Tom. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, um, I think that naturally what is an issue at one level may not be in another level or, 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 or maybe massively escalated in another level, you know, yeah, what's, what, what's really important to the engineering team isn't always massively what's, what's really important to um, the, you know, the, the, the CIO or, 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 or it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, what's the best word, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, um, they probably use a different word to describe it anyway. Um, and I, it, it reminds me of, um, of, the, of the Phoenix Project, which you'll know full well because you recommended it to me that I've just finished reading. <laughs> um, and there's the bit where um, Steve, the CIO, um, Steve, the, um, the CEO, sort of gets them all in the room and says, look, I've, 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 I've been a bit of an ass. Um, and, um, and they sort of have that real big sort of coming together for the first time. And actually they realize that, you know, 
these huge bugging pains for 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 development have actually been have, have actually been a you know a, a relatively minor problem for ops that could have been sorted out just by a different layer of communication um and similarly for the pmo who have you know got a completely different spin on things and it was just a really really good example of how just sort of extending the communication a couple of layers outwards um could you know go such a long way to solving you know to solving problems so um yeah pretty 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 um pretty current example for me having uh having just clocked it i mean i, I love the phoenix project have, have you read the phoenix project richira um no not yet tom but it's, i bet it's on your amazon wish list already <laughs> yeah there well, are too many actually <laughs> i was gonna say though there are so many good books out there at the moment but i think going back to to tom's point and uh the point of the the phoenix project uh, it was it was kind of like that there was that penny dropping moment in the Phoenix project where everybody was in that room together. You had the CIOs, you had the, your engineers, you had the ops, as, as Tom said, everybody in the same place. And suddenly you start to build that empathy, and you start to understand, okay, well, why are we why are we in these pro why are we having these problems? Is it because of one group, or is it actually this problem had by one group is actually shared by everybody else? I've noticed in in your background and and in your uh, in, in your description for your talk, you talked about the different roles that you'd gone through. Uh, I myself have been a software engineer, business analyst, uh, project manager, and lots, lots of other deaf job titles. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, that I feel that that's been really beneficial to me for is that it's given me a lot of different perspectives and I can then bring them to the surface when I'm trying to bring teams together as a scrum master, an agile delivery leader, agile coach, insert you know latest uh, on-trend uh, job title. Uh, how do you think that your background in software engineering, the different roles that you've had have contributed towards you being uh, an effective scrum master and agile coach? Yeah, thank you, Tom. Yeah, definitely every every role plays a very unique um, and challenging expectation out of it and um, taking the feedback from people and analyzing it and how that role has shaped me, you know, um, in helping me learn and grow from it is what I, I, I take it as a key takeaway from that role. And um, coming from, again, um, from my software engineer background and moving into roles like BA, you know, and then and then becoming an assistant manager and then moving into a scrum master. So every role, um, I've got a different and a fresh perspective um, about how the work in the system comes into play and how you deal with it. And every person has their own way of leadership style or dealing with things. And you can you can never compare those styles, but uh, you have to create and find a unique niche for yourself as to how what kind of a leader you want to be or what kind of a person you want to be to influence others as well. So um, I think being being in the role of a software engineer helped me really gain insights of the teams that I'm working with now currently, um, the people I work with, what they think, you know, what what are their goals and what, what are they passionate about? That is one thing. Um, the second thing was about being a BA. Now, uh, even being a BA, you know, going back to the requirements part of it, what kind of requirements do developers need what kind of requirements do, do stakeholders give you know bridging that gap between what they give and what we take you know is is definitely the most important aspect and even if one requirement goes missing i think <laughs> the whole product itself it, it, it just comes down to standstill so so you know how, how what kind of role you play in the system in all of these uh, roles and responsibilities. So having having that knowledge of these people and personas helped me develop who I am. And and tomorrow, if we have a BA on holiday, you know, or if we have a tester uh, um, on leave, 
I feel I can I can take up that role interim just just to make sure I'm moving the wheels in the system and not you know kind of blocking anyone so I can be a scrum master today tomorrow I can be an agile coach day after I I, I might be a tester or you know I might even if the product owner is on leave I can I can get the requirements and speak to stakeholders and you know I do some bits of negotiation and conflict resolution in the team so everything on 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 whatever I have done so far has definitely helped me and build my own style of leadership and have empathy towards each role and persona um, in the system you, you you spoke a lot about moving roles there, um, Rachira. But what I find quite fascinating about you is that you've not just moved roles; you've moved country continents, actually. Um, and you know, your your role is to understand individuals and get the best out of someone to be able to see a challenge and inspire a team to find an opportunity. How difficult is it to be able to do that when you've not just arrived in a new business but you've arrived actually in a whole new country a whole new a new culture um you know what challenges does that present and how did you overcome them because that to me is just fascinating yeah indeed it was it was challenging at the beginning especially when uh, managing people expectation you know culturally i belong to different background but then coming and um, finding my own space here in in a different culture altogether and trying to fit in is what i think i did wrong in my career move i think i need not fit in when i can stand out <laughs> so <laughs> so perhaps I, I was trying a lot to fit in but uh, that didn't help um, because that was not me i was just trying to fake um, but then when i realized this um, i think i realized my potential to get better and i did not uh, stand I, i did not try to say, uh, fit in um, in that culture but rather i would be myself and it was so it was really pleasing to see people around me um, have have openly you know welcomed me so much for whom i was and they respect every every, every you know every festival i celebrate or rest, they respect everything i do with in terms of the culture that i come from you know it's 5000 miles away from here but still um, um, having that kind of cultural diversity and that inclusivity in your team is really important and and i think this is something that we all need to um um we all need to put ourselves especially when we are hiring teams you know a bit uh, of element of diversity is needed in your team to an extent so that you have a fresh perspective of uh, you know having not a monotonous idea of how we take things because because what i realized is when when i came in when i started new um all i could hear was this is the way we do things you know this is the way this is the style so um i thought okay that is the style maybe that is, that might be your style let me try and do things my way and see if that helps and when i tried doing things my way and it worked everyone joined that style so it is it is you know uh, how how i really feel good about the fact that people have given me opportunities to be myself and um, i i don't know if i should say i i'm lucky enough to be in this space wherein i've been welcomed with open arms even um even though i don't fit in this culture but definitely i have i endorse this culture a lot so um it has definitely helped me thank you to everyone who's been a part of this journey you know i think that's a wonderful way uh to to kind of like wrap up that question Uh, I think what you what you've said is really powerful there especially about being your true self and not being afraid to be your true self and I think as a as as a leader and working with teams uh if you 
are not being your fullest self. You're trying to be somebody different. You're trying to fit yourself into, into somebody else's mold. That very quickly comes across. I mean, teams are, teams are very clever. Uh, after all, they're not made out of machines, they're made out of people. And uh, the teams that, that I've worked in, they sense when I may not be having a good day. They sense where I may be doing something that I don't 100% believe in. And I think, as, as you mentioned, Richard, you know, teams have got that element, teams that have that element of psychological safety and not afraid to call that out and to, and to support people. So I think what you've said there is absolutely fantastic. I don't know what you think, Tom. Absolutely agree. I, th I think every guest that we've had on so far, I've I've taken a quote or I've, I've taken something. So there's been something that's really resonated with me, and I can already see that the the one that's the one that's going to stick from this podcast is why try and fit in when you can stand out. I really like that. <laughs> absolutely, that's a cracking one, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, moving, I guess, building on that question, then, um, do you how? Has it become easier over time then to sort of, I guess, spot opportunity within challenges? Because I guess that all comes from understanding individuals and um, and people on a maybe not a personal level, but certainly um, certainly a stronger, a, more than a, just a professional level. You know, you need you need to be able to look someone in the eyes and I guess to a certain degree know something, know what they're thinking or whether you know whether they're happy or content or engaged or or, or passionate. So was that was that a challenge? Would you say when 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 you first arrived in the UK and has that got easier over time? Yeah. So, so as, as we all know, you, man is a social animal, right? So um, be it UK, India or anywhere uh, where I've been, you know, I've traveled a lot. The only thing that um, that people love is encouragement and motivation. Wherever you are, whatever you're working as, uh, everybody needs that dose of encouragement and everybody needs that dose of motivation, you know, um, um, that kind of support um, where you can perform better, you know. Uh, so I think this has definitely helped me. I understood this quite early in my career and um, helping people around me, um, um, whatever role I am, it just doesn't matter. But then at least being there for them and uh, lending a listening ear is really important because um, at times you are a coach for others and this is why even you need a coach um, so it may not be that, you know, you will have a coach um, uh, who, who is designated to you or, you know, who is who is there for you in that professional role as a coach. It can be your teammate. It can be anybody out here, you know, uh, any person sitting around you or anyone. All you need is someone who can believe in you uh, because dynamics in the, the team dynamics is all the same anywhere you go around the world. You know, um, they really love uh, to be around people who, who they believe in. They really want leaders who support them, who encourage them and motivate them. So having 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 these kind of soft skills in the people definitely helps, you know, it 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 definitely overcomes a lot of challenges. And when you see these challenges, these are learning opportunities. So you know, when I when I whenever I feel that, okay, this is something I might not know, but the next day this is something I Googled up and now I know it. <laughs> so every every challenge that you know I feel in my head okay, hang on, I don't know about this. Uh, I have never heard about this. I, I do a lot of research about that. And next day I come up with that and I let my team know that, uh, guys, it's not something that we don't know. Maybe I have something to talk about. I have something to add. Maybe you guys can contribute as well. So that kind of, um, you know, the learning madness I have, you know, that hunger and thirst to, okay, let me try and learn something. Um, I think that really helps a lot to uh, keep my passion going. 
Gabriel. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think that's um, that's a really interesting way of, of of looking at things, and I think that that's I think it's quite refreshing. I think that, um, and I, what do you think, Tom? Is that is that something that I guess you're able to do as well in terms of sort of seeing and sniffing out the the opportunity and a challenge um, going away, coming back, and I guess tackling it head on for an improvement. Yeah, I think I think what Rashira said there is is again spot on. Uh, I really liked what you said there about motivating teams. It reminds me a lot of uh, the work that you see in Daniel Pink's book Drive, where teams are motivated by autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And a lot of that comes from the the culture that they're working in and the environment that you create. And I think really good scrum masters uh, create those environments and enable people to flourish and enable people to grow. Uh, we don't always teach. Sometimes we just create an environment for people to be become who they want to be, their best, the best versions of themselves. But it always comes down to the environment and, and the culture around them. For me, uh, one of the things that really jumped out at me was uh, the 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 approach that that you took when you talked about having a data driven approach, looking at evidence, uh, bringing people together. Is there a uh, is there a one-size-fits-all recipe, would you say, for, for how you build a brilliant team? Because it sounds like uh, in the uh, in the gigs that you've had before, you've you've had some really great successes, and you've had, you've created some really great environments. What is the uh, Rashira recipe for success, would you say? <laughs> it's a re- secret recipe, actually. Should I be sharing that? <laughs> yeah, perhaps you need to hire me to try me. <laughs> No, no. Uh, I, I don't think one size fits all, um, um, be it people process anything, even the product, you know, that you buy in the market, there's no one size that could fit everyone. Even they have so many products available in various sizes to fit you. So I think um, every challenge is a silver lining and um, you should only know where you need to look into um, and solve it instead of, you know, trying to um, look into the problems, try to take it as a learning curve. And maybe that's when a, a challenge or you know, a problem might turn into an opportunity. So, yeah, um, and 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 playing safe, you know, can only get you so far. But when you learn from the challenges, um, you might achieve more. Uh, you you might be a risk taker, and you you can put yourself in uncomfortable zones. Though, um, I've had a lot of them, but uh, it's it's just getting out of those uncomfortable zones by achieving more, you know, um, I, I am in my comfort zone. I'm not learning anything new. I could be there forever in my life and just be in that nine to five job, but uh, that's not what I choose to become. Um, I, I want to make an impact in the lives of people. Um, and I want to see that purpose of why am I here? What role am I playing? It not be a formal role, but in the lives of people, it might be something different, wherein I, I want to make an impact. And um, this is the kind of attitude um, that I want to spread across. Um, um, always learning and, uh, you know, always being hungry to learn. And, and, and as you said, Tom, one size doesn't fit all. But definitely, um, the attitude of learning um, never goes wrong. So this is something that you can you can try and use in any role. It can be a, a just a graduate who has started, or even a, until the level of the CEO. If you if you never stop learning, um, life never stops you teaching. So, yeah, that's that's something I have picked up um, as a as a mantra, um, or you can call a Ruchira secret. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that uh, I always remember, and it, it comes from a, a motivational speaker that I, I went to see nearly, well, I think, over 10 years ago, actually. Uh, and his name was Miles Hilton Barber, and he was a, an Arctic explorer and an Antarctic explorer. 
And uh, what he did was he, he talked about the place where we learn and the place where innovation happens. And it happens at the edge where sometimes we feel we feel a bit uncomfortable. We're learning, we're pushing ourselves. Uh, but it's at the edge where innovation happens. Uh, and I'm a great believer that teams that constantly push themselves, they know where that edge is and they're not afraid to walk up to it, understand it, understand how it makes them feel and learn from that experience. Those are the teams that can do something better next time. They can keep pushing that edge forward, keep growing that circle out. Uh, so I think I think what you've said there is absolutely spot on. Nice. Yeah, and this is something, Tom, that uh, my coach, you know, I, I've come, I come from a sports background too, and um, I've had a sports coach um, who used to always teach me lessons of life that now I started realizing that they were lessons that I could never learn all by myself. So so there is one thing that you spoke about um, um, of having that edge, and um, that coach used to always push me, you know, um, it's not an individual, as an individual person, but as a team, because my performance alone does not make an impact but a team performance whether they win the match or lose the match makes an impact so winning together as a team or losing together as a team and what impact it has and how you what your attitude towards it is uh, matters a lot that's how you can be more agile you know um, trying to bring those practices inspecting and adapting with your losses what you lost and um, and then again um, trying to um, uh, take insights from what helped you to win. It's again that kind of retrospective that we try and adapt to, isn't it? Absolutely. I think uh, one of the uh, one, another book that I picked up recently, uh, and it was it was a great book. It was by the uh, the ex CFO of Apple, uh, a guy called Bill Campbell, and he's a bit of a coach and he used to coach Steve Jobs and he used to coach a lot of the uh, tech talent. Uh, in Silicon Valley. And one of the things that always jumps out at me from that book is it's important for your team to win, exactly as you've said, but it's always about winning in the right way. And I think that's the important thing, winning together and not leaving people behind. It's about bringing that whole team forward. So couldn't agree more with you. How important, I mean, I'll, just to caveat that, how important is it to dwell on your losses then? Because we talked about winning there, but I guess there's that, that old saying, win or learn. Um, how much time... Richira, do you spend sort of analyzing what went wrong um, in and amongst the successes as well? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I, sh I shouldn't be spending too much time, you know, um, kinding, um, kind of thinking about what, the kind, not thinking about my loss, but thinking about how I lost and where did I go wrong? Because um, that, that only happens immediately after the match. You, um, I don't remember anything, you know, 10 years after the match and how that helped me improve. It's, it's just immediately after that scenario happened or after that event happened, you remember about what made you lo lose that match. So um, overcoming it and the next day when you go back to the pitch you know practice it that's when you know okay this is where I made a mistake and I'm not repeating it today again in my practice match but that is what helps me learn I guess it's I guess that's a that's a really good example of because I, I guess from from a personal perspective if I think about myself that's an example of where me and you would be quite different then because I, I tend to I tend to react to losses not emotionally but I guess I definitely not level-headedly, I guess, because I, I, I'm, I, I'm a sportsman myself. And if I think about, if I, I, I could never analyze a, a performance sort of immediately after a loss, I think. I think I'm quite, I think I'm, I think I'm quite good at analyzing um, shortcomings after a win for some reason. I think I'm, for some, I, I don't really know why that is. I guess it's because I'm probably more level-headed and I'm able to sort of look, um, I, I'm, 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 I guess I'm able to sort of look at, look at failures or, um, or, 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 or wants for improvement with, I guess, um, 
slightly brighter eyes. But yeah, I've, 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 I tend to need to sort of step back, take some time to reflect, and then I'm able to explore the detail. Um, I guess that's where me and you are different. And I guess it's a really a good example of um, knowing your team and mm-hmm. and knowing how you know how how, how people sort of react and um, and, and overcome failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was me some time ago <laughs> in my life as well. I could never just you know overcome my failure, and it was so difficult for me to bring to the people around me to bring me out of it. <laughs> I, I I would just act too miserable. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, um, and um, that's where I think uh, people. And the environment that I got support in um, played a vital role in shaping me up um, as to, you know, not getting too kicked up by the success and also, you know, not being too feeble about the losses. Are there certain characteristics then as as, as the leader or, or, or the servant leader of that squad or team? Are there certain characteristics that you feel are vital for you to display in order to, um, I guess, A, encourage the team to acknowledge failure, but also, but, but be, um, inspire them to over, to, to sort of explore and, and, and therefore find a way to overcome it. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, so people, people around you, um, it matters a lot. Um, uh, it matters only when you understand the dynamics, uh, you understand the people around you as to what they expect and what would motivate them. So if, if you're new to a team or you know, you're new to um, a place anywhere in a group um, around people, uh, it's very little you know about them. Uh, it's very little that you could do to help them in the initial stages. But as and when you see, you spend more time with them. So if, the same thing happens with a family too. You know, um, As the kids grow, um, uh, as people spend more time with their loved ones, we get to realize their inner self, where they actually, the strengths are, where the weaknesses are. So it, the same thing, and you try to nurture them you don't throw them out you don't fire them out right you um, you try to nurture them and um that's where i think um um I, I i learned from my family as well as to you need to nurture people around you to get the best out of them and um, um it's 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 from everybody around you you know even even a small insect that goes around their house i i take some lessons from that <laughs> so i i i just observe a lot and i take lessons from every bit and pieces of everything happening around me and uh, and do you think it's important for them to see you fail? Because you, because yes, I, I hear yes. Okay, <laughs> why is that? Yes, because because what happens is uh, if if they don't see me um, as a failure or they don't see me that I have failed and I have not got over it and I haven't learned from it. I wouldn't set a good example for them and I couldn't lead by that example. So I want I want to be the person wherein I the way I want my teams to be. So I, I want to lead by example and let them know that it is completely acceptable to fail, but it is not acceptable to not learn from it. I think that's a that's a really good point. Uh, and I think what you've said there is spot on. I think when you are in a leadership position, whether you are a servant leader as a scrum master, where you, whether you are a product owner or a product manager or you're, you're anybody within that team, the, uh, the the values and the behaviors that you demonstrate have a massive effect on the team around you mm-hmm. and when you are when you are in a coaching stance whether you are in a teaching or, or a training stance it's really important to be able to model those behaviors because people are watching all the time and when people see you react to things 
it's very easy to be able to coach somebody. It's very easy to be able to train somebody and talk to them about how you would react in a situation. But when the team sees you react in live time to something, take on board what's happened, digest that and reflect on it, and then change your behavior going forward, that's a very powerful thing. And that has a massive knock-on effect on teams. I don't know, I don't know what you think. Yeah, definitely, Tom. Um, quite, uh, quite agree with you, uh, um, especially around the areas of, you know, seeing people um, around you, seeing yourself fail, you know, um, failing just for them. There have been times, you know, in my role as well, well, and deliberately, I've tried to be that weak person um, so that I could I could enable my teams to be stronger for me as well. So there have been times when, you know, um, I just acted like I was very nervous. Um, I'm sorry if my teams are listening to this. <laughs> <But> <laughs> found out. <laughs> yeah, they found out. So, so I, there, there are times, you know, when when um, I, I decided that I would step back. And, um, and that 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 moment, I felt that I am actually enabling them by, you know, helping them more by helping actually helping them less. So um, this is this is something which played a vital role um, in my life uh, because when I was in the position of um, a manager, you know, um, that's that's when there are people uh, who are you know in under your line management who look up to you, who who see you as you know as someone who is who is a game changer for their, them or their lives, you know, who can make or break things for them, and um, being in such a vital role, it is it is very eminent that people see you as someone so vulnerable that they can come and speak to you about anything and learn from you yet you are powerful to make some uh, some really good decisions that would impact their lives in a very positive way so uh, so this is something you know um i don't know if everybody tries it or <laughs> i don't know how it works but it has worked for me um i tried to be most vulnerable as well uh, at times wherein you know um, I've shown that negative side of mine wherein I've asked for help and um, maybe I have not asked for help or, may, you know, maybe when I've made myself so uh, stupid and miserable that, okay, fine, she's of no use, let's try and do something ourselves, you know, that is the kind of, um, um, the kind of uh, feeling that I try to instigate in my team when I got some less engagement and less response from people around me as to because everybody thought I could make a change, all right, let's give her the a chance, you know she can go on and on but then um i had to put a full stop somewhere so that i could enable my teams to take be in charge uh, make them more self-organizing um you know for them to lead um as a team so i think i i had to do less by doing more i had to give less to give more you know that kind of enabling people of uh, helping a little less so that they could grow more is something um i learned in this journey as well yeah and I think the, I think something else that you touched on there as well is is, is empathy because without empathy, you know, it, it's it's so hard to to lead and inspire um, because I think it, without 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 your team knowing that you're vulnerable as well and mm -hmm. and knowing that you know you 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 can feel the similar problems and you know the the same anxiety as they do, it's it's, it's really hard I think for for them to buy into you. I think I was I, I listened to an interview recently with. Um, someone called Dylan Hartley, who was, um, he was the England rugby captain and, and a real hard man, real uh, sort of had a, had a, had a pretty bad disciplinary record and, and was one of them sort of real hard men on the pitch. But he said that as captain, he said the work that he did on the pitch and, and that sort of persona was, was, was 5% 
of his role. And that was the really easy bit. The hard bit was um, was off the fields because he had to um, he had to he had to he had to demonstrate the sort of empathy and the qualities um, off the pitch and be available at absolutely all times to be able to earn respect on it. So it wasn't the sort of, it wasn't the sort of leading at the coalface actions that, it, that, that gained the respect of the team and that, and that enabled them to buy into him. Um, you know, it was, it was all the other stuff that he did off the pitch, often quietly, often privately, one-to-one and, and, often, and often that sort of subtle understanding and that emotional and those emotional connections that enabled him to be a really strong leader. I think I think what you've just said there is absolutely spot on, Tom. I think uh, I can see some uh, proper scrum master in you there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it comes from it comes from coaching, and Rashir has talked about all these things today. Uh, it's not just uh, the superficial things that you see. It's not just uh, going to retros. It's not uh, doing uh, product reviews. It's not the the the, uh, the artifacts and the events that you see uh, in in delivery. It's often what's going off beneath. The surface it's beneath the it's the it's the main part of the iceberg and i think that's a lot of what agile coaching is in my experience it's the it's the hard work the quiet work that goes off behind the stage that often the rest of the team and the organization doesn't see but when it's not there and that that time and that effort isn't being put in you know about it and i think that's the difference between what makes a, a, a good scrum master or an agile coach agile delivery lead or or any or, or even greater uh, agile delivery but one of the things that i really liked about what Rachira said there was around vulnerability and i think the one bit of sound the one soundbite that i'm probably going to take away from today is that there is power in having that vulnerability because it invites that empathy and uh, it invites those conversations with those team members and that's how you get to a high performing team i don't i don't know if i'm talking nonsense i don't, I don't know what you folks think uh, but yeah i think there's power in vulnerability over to you yeah, yeah, um, yeah. As as both of you mentioned, you know, actually, um, empathy is one bit of it of that leadership aspect. Courage is another, and with empathy, I think um, there's a lot of listening as well. And listening also, um, there's a lot of listening that happens. You know, when you when you go into that pantry of yours and you see two people talking, and you overhear, or you know, um, they invite you into into a conversation, and and everything starts there. That speaks a lot about the company culture, isn't it? Um, and and I really miss that during this phase of lockdown. What do you guys feel about it? I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I think it's um, it's it's just the little things, isn't it? It's because yeah. most because because a lot of the meaningful work that a lot of the meaningful conversations that we've just talked about that happens at the water cooler or mm. on the way, or, or when you walk past someone on the way to the bathroom, or you know or, or you know just. Not necessarily with it in in the meetings or the scheduled chats, and at the moment everything has to be scheduled, doesn't it? Like you know, yeah. um, a, a, what what could really just be a five minute conversation turns into sort of a half hour meeting in a diary because no one blocks out anything less than half an hour in anyone's diary, do they? So it's just it's so much more difficult. Um, so I've I've I have so much respect for everyone that's getting it done and getting it done well, and and for organisations who have really sort of um, ploughed through and. Um, and 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 excelled during this time because it's it's really it's it's been a huge learning curve. But the scary thing is we're going to have to learn to undo it as well. It's going to be it's going to be dead weird. You're just going to be, you, you have, you're going to have to you're going to have to get back into the rhythm of of, of water cooler chat. It'll be dead awkward. We'll we'll all get back and be recluses. I think that's where creativity will play a vital role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be putting walk past water cooler in someone's diary for like yeah. five past two. <laughs> we'll be formalising informal again. But I, th I think I think you're absolutely spot on there. I think there's 
and and as as Rashira said, uh, there's just there's so much power in that serendipity, just walking past, striking up a conversation with somebody uh, about something totally unrelated, and then finding out that you're actually working on the same thing quietly in the background. You're both dealing with the same problem, mm-hmm. and having the opportunity to to share ideas. It's it's that's the biggest challenge that we face now. I mean, it's one of the biggest challenges that I face as an agile coach. How you simulate that serendipitous communication how you bring those people together in a way that doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel uh scheduled in somebody's diary uh which is probably the last thing that you want to do so uh for the next an hour we are going to be having serendipitous chat begin <laughs> yeah and, and i think the the really difficult conversations are always more difficult when you've got a set time and a place and you're almost counting down. Think about the really difficult conversations you've had with people. How many times has that, have, have, have you found the courage to, to strike that conversation just off the cuff randomly when you've walked past someone? Most, probably most of the time, it's a lot easier to do that often. Than we, Can I just grab you for a quick chat? Rather than sort of, right, see you at three and then you sort of spend five hours treading, th- treading the, the, the clock striking three. You know, so we're messing out on that. I think that's I called don't... the Columbo method. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Rachira, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you this evening. I think you're, I think you're fantastic. Is, 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 is there anything, anything else you'd like to say? Uh, anything you'd like to plug? I know you, I know you're a big, um, you're a big, um, you're a regular whole uh, agile. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Is, is, is any, um, any pages, websites, meetups you'd like to, uh, to plug before you leave? Uh, um, um, it's it's the Lean Agile community um, from all over uh, Stockport, Manchester, and um, Hull as well. That um, um, one one person, uh, Ian. Uh, I don't know if you guys know him. Yeah, he's, Ian Carroll. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a good uh, guy. Uh, yeah, amazing, absolutely amazing. So he's he's collated everything into one, which is now uh, Lean Agile UK. So if if need be, yeah, that is the place where we on go for the meetups. Since everything is virtual now, there's no location barrier so it's it's all about coming together for the cause yeah fantastic that's awesome okay so we will wrap up our podcast for tonight uh we hope you've enjoyed it Rachira, thank you so much you've been a fantastic guest uh, i've had a great time have you tom absolutely why try and fit in when you can stand out absolutely <laughs> all right Rachira, you had a good time yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Just before I leave, I would just like to uh, quote a small thing that I read somewhere recently. And it also affects, uh, it also actually symbolizes this entire podcast, which is um, life is beautiful because of the people you meet and the lessons you learn and the character that you evolve in. Wow, powerful, wise words. What an ending. <laughs> We could, have gone, we could have gone anywhere there, couldn't we? Sim- symbolizes <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. We're going to end it for tonight. Uh, Rachira, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you folks on our next episode. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.